Hey everyone, welcome to episode 132 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Casarapple, with me as always, Collins Mullen. Hey Collins! What's up, Chris? How's it going? Pretty good, actually. Yeah? Just been jamming some Pioneer lately, Mm -hmm. a little bit of preparation for Indianapolis this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, good times. Just picking up where you left off with your PT prep, so not too much of a transition there i guess kind of pioneer it's it's a pretty fast moving format mm-hmm. people things are evolving and changing a little bit so we're trying to keep up trying to make sure that we're not missing any fringe decks that might be really good yeah so you know stuff to do cool well we will definitely talk about that in the second half of this episode yep. but i think the first half we're pretty obligated to talk about the world championships this weekend so. indeed before we get to that, uh, I want to thank our patrons. We really, really appreciate those who lend us some support, um, whether it's financial through Patreon or just retweeting us or sharing us with your friends or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or whatever. Like All that stuff is, is great. So we really, really appreciate your support. If you would like to lend us financial support and end up with the t-shirts and stuff that I know you did some work on, Starting to get those sent out today. It's true. Today I did some compiling of t-shirt sizes. T-shirt sizes. Stuff like that. Yeah. If you would like to lend us some support and end up with a t-shirt of your very own, you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. That would be super cool of you. And uh, we will get those out. It's happening. It is happening. (laughs) It's just, you know, there's many steps involved to this. (laughs) Uh, And if you are in a a t-shirt tier, which is just the $3 tier, if you're in that tier and you have not sent me your shirt size, you know, go ahead and send us your shirt size so we can get you your t-shirt. So I figure we will start off with kind of the only keeper mole we can do today, which is the the hand that lost worlds. (laughs) Yes. This hand got some discussion. So... You can't talk about this hand without, like, you got to put yourself into Marcio's seat here. Yeah. So you are up against the wall, as you have been for this entire match. Yeah. Because it was a best of five matches, however, PV starts up a match. He gets (laughs) spotted a whole match. Yeah. So, and then PV wins the first match. So you're Marcio, you can't give up any more matches. You win two matches, but you keep being down a game in them. So you keep being a game away from losing the world championship. Finally, again, you are down a game. You're on the play. You see this hand post board against blue white control against like pretty easily the best player in the world right now who, (laughs) who is fresh. Yeah. Who's played one match all day. Right. And you've been playing all day long. Right. And you see this hand. And this hand is Castle Vantress Island, Teferi, Elspeth Conquers Death, Legion Warboss, Fires of Invention, Fires of Invention. Yeah. It's got the curve that you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're really trying to, on the play, go Legion Warboss into Fires of Invention. Yes. Like, that's kind of the dream of this matchup, it feels like. Right. If we were able to just draw the the lands that we need for the first several turns, this is actually perfect. Yeah. That's as good as it gets. You're, yeah. You know, you don't really have any, like, thing cheaper than three mana in your deck that you're excited to play in this matchup. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this is what you're looking for. It's just, the problem is that you have two blue sources. Yep. Only. <laughs> yeah. And you're on the play, so you don't have that little extra reprieve of... Yep. And the number of temples in this deck 
reduces the number of red sources that you can actually draw on turn three right. like relatively significantly. And I think somebody did the math and you're about 45% to hit a red source that allows you to cast a red spell on turn three. Sure. So you're 55% to break off kind of lose this game on the spot almost yes yeah, because if, if you right in this matchup if you give pv any sort of leeway on like oh wow he just like bricked for a turn and i get to have like an extra turn to develop mm-hmm. that can be just it yep yeah and that wasn't quite it in this match pv's hand was a little bit awkward too so marcio actually just had like an extra turn or two to hit the land and mm-hmm. if he'd gotten that war boss down to start threatening planeswalkers and stuff he really could have made a game of it so, you know, the hand ended up, there were a lot of spots where, like, it could have worked out. Right. Unfortunately, he really did brick out yep. pretty hard. Yeah. Um, the upside of it, I think if you go war boss into Fires of Invention to Fairy, like, I, I think you're a massive, massive favorite to win that game. Like, 80% plus mm-hmm. on the play. Right. So, I, I think that all of the criticism of Marcio is, number one, kind of ignoring that fact that i don't think that this is supposed to be a keep i think probably he was wrong keeping it mm-hmm. but it's not as crazy a keep as, as you might think just looking at it sure and also man like i think he was just trying to get this match done with <laughs> I, I think he was just worn out because he had been yeah. playing all day long in those like super high stakes matches all of them were best of three matches right He'd, he'd been playing like three hours against pv at that point so <laughs> yeah yeah no for sure and I, I i think that like putting it in the context makes it definitely understandable however if we are going to like do a keeper mall about this hand i do fall in the mulligan mm-hmm. camp so while it is completely understandable that somebody would keep this hand in their spot yeah you know i think that is a you know, a mistake driven by fatigue, mm-hmm. but a mistake nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if we, if you just run the numbers on this mm-hmm. and, you know, you're like 45% to hit the land, but then you really do need to hit the fourth land on turn four as well. So your odds are a little lower there. If you miss the land, you kind of like just lose on the spot. So like this hand can't be higher than probably 35 to 40% to win the game. Right. So what's your equity on a Mulda six? Like, is you're on the play? Yeah. Like, I think the probably. matchup is disfavored, but yeah. Yeah, probably higher. Mm-hmm. I think that if you mulligan, like, imagine mulliganing this and then seeing like three lands, Legion War Boss fires, right? Sure. Something else. Great. I mean, then then all of a sudden you're back up to like maybe sixty percent to win the game, mm-hmm. and right. I think that's really all you need to do. Because we are on the play here, so we've got to. If we brought this deck to the tournament, we have to have at some point in our testing have believed that, at least on the play against blue white control post board, we yep. are favored. Yep. Like there's no way that you bring the deck to the tournament if you don't think that. So right, for sure. Yep. But yeah, definitely uh, one of those coverage moments that is memorable and talked about quite a lot. Yeah. So. And I think that's probably going to haunt marcio for a long time yeah but i think he's getting a (laughs) little railroaded for it yeah yeah for sure the internet is going to do internet things of course and that's you know that's one of the elements of magic is that like your minor mistakes especially the mistakes that are like very visible to 
sometimes just yourself, but a lot of the time in like these like coverage moments, visible to everybody. Visible to, I believe the counter was well over a hundred thousand viewers. <laughs> right. At yeah. that moment. So. Yeah. But you know, just like me personally, like I've like identified a mistake that I've made in a match and it has like stuck with me for, for like a week and a half, mm -hmm. you know, just like still thinking about like, man, if I had just done that differently, I would have top eight this tournament or, you know, whatever. And I can only imagine how amplified that feeling is in Marcio's seat. So, yeah. 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 Definitely tough. a tough one. Definitely. Just a, a rough moment. Mm -hmm. But, you know, second place at Worlds ain't bad either. So. No, not at all. Yeah. And, you know, he continues to, like, really firmly solidify his place as mm -hmm. one of the best right now. He's just, like, in all of these super high caliber tournaments, mm -hmm. He's he seems to find his way in the top four of a significant portion of them yeah so that's really impressive i mean i think that finals really was the the two players who played the best in that tournament yeah so that you know you have to walk away thinking that at least in that regard the tournament was a big success mm -hmm. but in other ways i mean we should just i, I kind of just want to talk about worlds in general and we, yeah. we can get to the the decks and just like the standard choices and stuff like that but i want to talk about like watching this because this was the first real like esports worlds you know yes yeah and it definitely felt like you know they did a really good job advertising it before it happened like you know people knew about it weeks beforehand mm -hmm. people were getting excited about it yeah i mean fantastic marketing job with the arena mm -hmm. integration and stuff yeah. put in the players faces as avatars yeah for yeah the, for the like choose your champion thing and also just like on coverage the fact that they each had their own face <laughs> as their avatar is pretty cool fantastic yeah yeah i really think they nailed it there and as soon as it started i was pretty blown away because the draft coverage was very impressive and that was the first thing that i watched yeah and covering draft has always been kind of finicky and like only really accessible to people who have a followed the limited format and be like really know like how like the intricacies of a draft mm -hmm. but w what they did with it was really impressive because they filmed it all a day beforehand and then cut it together into like a followable storyline yeah um with like interviews inserted in I, I finally got to watch it yeah but um yeah yeah, but just, yeah, like, having, like, those, like, clipped-in interviews mm -hmm. of, like, Thorolf talking about... Uh, seeing a dream trawler. Like, seeing a dream trawler and moving in and, like, hearing him talk about it, like, as we're watching the draft unfold. Yeah. And on top of that, like, not just following... I mean, you know, we were definitely, like, following one drafter most of the time, but we were also able to, like, get a bigger picture of, like, everything that was going on in the draft. Right. After the first pack a graphic comes up that shows what colors each player is in at that point. Yeah, like, yeah. that's fantastic yeah. stuff. Really cool. So so definitely, you know, props where props are due yeah. on that. I was really impressed by how um, all of that stuff was uh, just really well done. Yeah. Sadly, that's going to be really, really difficult to do in any other tournament. Just because yeah. there's... Right. Because I'm sure it takes a day of production to yeah. put something like that together. And honestly, turning that around in a day is is pretty impressive like yeah. i big props to their their post-production team for getting that put together that way mm -hmm. i especially liked just like you know we talked to to thorolf about taking that dream trawler and then a few minutes later 
we talked to Autumn about not getting that dream draw. Yeah, and yeah. you can tell, you know, they're they're very casual about it. Like, yeah, I mean, I think that had a lot of impact on both of our drafts. But you could tell, like, it's like, fuck, I wish I had that dream drawer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, but like, just like getting like the personalities of all the players to come out in that way, really cool. Yeah, definitely. So hopefully we see more of that stuff in these like elite tournaments that, you know, coverage is allowed to do things like record ahead of time. Yeah. It's definitely weird hearing that there was going to be a draft that was not live Mm -hmm. but like after seeing like why that was yeah it makes a lot of sense it was it was perfect the one missed opportunity that i think that they had was that they could loosen up some of the rules a little bit because they changed the format up it was paper draft and then you register your deck, and then you play your deck on Arena. Yeah. And the fact that Minguchi starts Worlds off with a game loss for misregistering a deck, doing this weird thing that nobody's mm-hmm. ever had to do before, yeah, feels like something that they could have just fixed. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, that was definitely a feel bad, and definitely not because it that like encapsulated the conversation of the tournament leading into it. Yeah. And that's that's we it was kind of like starting off on the wrong foot. Like, oh, it's like before the tournament even started, people are already complaining about the tournament. <laughs> you right. know. Like why are we, you know, adding fuel to this fire? But, you know, I think that's probably just going to happen no matter what. And I do understand how that is deserving of a game loss mm-hmm. because in this context that kind of thing is almost more abusable than normal because like even coverage got his deck wrong Mm -hmm. and was like talking about how like wow his deck is an a plus he has two Two archon of sun's grace yeah two archon of sun's grace in his deck so like imagine if just like he had accidentally poured it in two archons of sun's grace and like that went unnoticed and so it probably yeah but like zero percent the packs are the packs are logged and there's two drafts right so you know, I don't think there's any actual upside to him of trying to run two bomb right. rares that weren't in the draft. Yeah, instead. yeah, yeah, for sure. I like, I, I kind of get it. It's yeah. just like there are judges there to make sure that things are happening. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming, and right. I mean, I think it's just that the judges didn't have tools to do anything differently because, like, that is the penalty for that mm-hmm. for misregistering your deck. Like, that's yeah. what happens. Uh, and they probably there's probably just really no leeway there. But on this stage feel like we could get a i don't know how high the judges levels go up to but i assume we have a level four or whatever there who can just sort of hand wave this stuff away yeah so i don't know well there are only level threes now okay i don't know if there's some like god tier judge that does like level four would be that right right right. now i'm sure but yeah (laughs) um but yeah, I mean, that that was just too bad. Oh, also, during the draft coverage, the shaky cam really started to get to me after a little while. Oh, I, I didn't notice. I, I think the zooms were just too severe, so you could tell, see every camera, every bit of camera movement, okay. like, pretty significantly. Sure. So. That was the draft coverage, at least. And I was, you know, definitely very impressed. Yeah. And then we got into the gameplay, and I think that we're all pretty familiar with what arena gameplay looks like Mm -hmm. now they didn't really do any improvement on that except for the avatars was pretty cool well one thing that they did and i don't know if they've done this before but this was the first time that i've seen it and they weren't quite good at it yet and it's a thing that hopefully they don't have to do for very long but Mm -hmm. when so the top player has their hand 
like overlaid onto the yeah, battlefield. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you don't get to see when that player is like scrying or making mulligan decisions and stuff like that. True. And sometimes they did manage to like pull down the window basically so you could see what was going on. Mm-hmm. But it was pretty inconsistent yeah. and like honestly really highlighted the need for a spectator mode sure. for Arena. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, but I don't think that was unique to this event. I okay. do. I, I remember that happening for like you know player unique decisions okay. in previous arena tournaments that sure. they broadcast. I but, just missed that. But it's it's always been hit or miss. Yeah. Like sometimes they get to it on time. Most of the time they don't. Yeah. I mean it's yeah. live and sometimes it's just oh they drew their spell with scry they yeah. scry and you just right. can't keep up. Right. Um, you really have to have somebody there, like, anticipating when it's going to need to happen, and I don't think that they've gotten there yet. Right. And, I mean, the ideal is there just needs to be a spectator mode yeah, yeah, where yeah. we can see both players' hands and we can see, like, we don't see the player's mouse as mm-hmm. part of the thing. We just see what's sure. happening. and Yeah. So, yeah. And also, you know, the games that I've watched from Canister's perspective are sometimes a little jarring when he's clicking repeatedly and um, like highlighting things yeah. that are popping up over and over again yeah and, exactly like and you know and it's fun to see him like emote a lot and and that stuff but he's got some ticks that are a little hard to view <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean overall like the production was quite good the set was fantastic like the stage mm-hmm. it looked like something important was happening there yeah and that that was nice to see um, they really like embraced the we are in Hawaii thing, which was cool. Like the shirts were like the the, yeah. Hawaii, the flower shirts, right, and right. The, they got those play mats that are like really sweet looking. Yeah, yeah. And the the outside news desk, which had its you know problems with wind and stuff, <laughs> but yeah, it, you know it really was like hey, you know we flew these players out to Hawaii to have this tournament. Yeah. Like, this is a real thing, and right. it, it, it was cool. No, yeah, for sure. Um, I, was li- I, was, I wasn't sure what I felt about the, the outside mm-hmm. scene. Some of it was fine. Like, yeah. day nine in the middle, he, like, he looked good. He had grass behind him. <laughs> but whenever they panned over to Maria, her hair was blowing everywhere. Oh, poor Maria. And the, like, the plants were, like, frequently blowing around behind her. Sometimes I heard blowing on top of her. Mm-hmm. So... You know, that was a bit of a mess, but... <laughs> yeah. But they got to try new things, so... Yeah, I was, Sometimes... I was in for it. I mean, the whole time I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, at least. Yeah, for sure. The tournament structure, I thought, left some things to be desired. Mm-hmm. You know, we keep getting... I, I think it was... From my perspective, it was better than the PC structure in some ways, because it didn't just, like, lean really hard on tiebreakers from very small samples of matches as, like, super important things. Yeah. But it also had an even worse problem than the PC did with just, like, weighting some matches far, far, far heavier than other matches. Yeah, I and it was interesting because, like, kind of going into it, I was like, man, I really hope these draft rounds end up mattering. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like that was oh kind boy. of, on the, yeah, that was on the back of my mind, like during the draft round Did they and that was, mattering? that was before I understood really like the structure of the tournament. Right. Cause I like, I didn't really look into it beforehand. I didn't study it at all. I was just like, all right, coverage, tell me what's happening next. Yep. 
And yeah, like boy, did the first like three, the first like four rounds end up mattering the most because the players who ended up like moving on to the upper bracket from that were all of a sudden like twenty four percent to win the tournament each, and yeah. then the last it like wild, <laughs> yeah, the, and then the last like percent was split amongst everybody else <laughs> yeah. in the tournament. It was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so the way it worked was like. If you got two wins in, over the course of two or three rounds in your draft, then you went to the upper pod where you got to play for buys into the top eight, mm-hmm. into the top bracket of the top eight. Yeah. If you went one, two, or worse in the draft, then you went into the bottom bracket where you had to play for, like, the worst that you could have done in in the top bracket was make day two in the losers bracket yeah if you're in the bottom bracket of uh, like right after draft the best you can do is make day two in the losers bracket and the worst you can do is get eliminated from the tournament and that being in that losers bracket on day two was absolutely brutal yeah just because there was so much fighting to do to get to the finals and stuff and because you would be down a match in the finals and so right the equity that you ended up with was at the end of day one 12 people made day two and eight of them were far less likely to win the tournament than they had been at the beginning of day one (laughs) right right they had less than one percent less than a one percent chance of winning that tournament each and each of the four players in the top bracket had like almost is that 23 percent yeah 23 point something percent pretty wild yeah right so the tournament structure definitely left something to be desired but i think my bigger complaint about how like the coverage went was that at no point during viewing a match did i know where in the tournament structure we were right we very rarely were given standings or like brackets or anything like that it and there was a lot of like coverage people talking time mm-hmm. <laughs> and but they were just kind of talking amongst themselves and like not really showing any like statistics from the tournament or anything like that it was just like i'm either watching a match or i'm listening to coverage talk and at no point do I like and like every once in a while I like scramble to take a screenshot of like them posting a bracket. Right. So I was kind of frustrated because like I just never really knew what in like what was going on in the tournament, who was at what record. Like mm-hmm. they didn't display the records of the players in the match or like describe where they were. Right. Right. When you're watching a Swiss tournament, mm-hmm. then you always have the record up like, next oh, to the players. Is nine and one. Okay, I know what that means. Right, right. <laughs> they have to win this one and the next, yeah, and then right. they can draw it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and if you're watching like a double elimination bracket of a fighting tournament, yeah, like uh, a fighting game tournament, like they'll have like losers, losers finals. finals or whatever, yeah. or lose like winners semifinals mm-hmm. or whatever. Like you'll know what match they're in and what the stakes are in that match. Right. And right, we didn't know like a, a lot of times like. Zan would walk into the room or somebody would walk into the room and be like, and watch somebody like lose a, lose a match mm-hmm. and be like, are they done in the tournament? And I'll be like, I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I, I just don't know what this match was for. In order to find out, we need to listen to the next 15 minutes of conversation and parse it out from all of that. Like maybe we'll get there through watching the interview. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Definitely some room for improvement there. And it also 
created a weird thing. When you're watching a, a Swiss, the Swiss portion of a tournament, you mostly watch the players who are doing very well in that tournament mm-hmm. the whole time. Worlds, the vast majority of games are played by people who are about to get eliminated from the tournament. Right. And it's not as important with Worlds because it's 16 excellent players who have worked really hard to be there and are playing good magic. So it's not the same as watching somebody who's 0-2 at the beginning of a a Swiss tournament. But it still is weird that, like, PV is doing great, he's not dropping a match, and we just don't see him play any magic. Yeah. And he ends up playing half as many matches as As everybody else. A bunch, pretty much everybody else in day two. Uh, Yeah, I would be interested to see the actual numbers on that because... Like, yeah, the the I'm assuming it was PV who just kind of, like, floated and, and got into the finals and won. Yeah, he played seven or eight matches total. The whole weekend. Yeah. 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 So, pretty crazy. I mean, one of those is a was a best of, five, you know, five matches oh, yeah, yeah. thing, but the rest of them were regular matches, and everybody in the lower bracket was playing best of three matches. Mm-hmm. So, all of those people were just playing an enormous amount of magic, right? and each of those matches is worth tens of thousands of dollars in equity so there's like a lot of stress there on each match mm-hmm. and so I, I think that that may not be the fairest way to construct a tournament like this yep so i definitely get that for sure yeah as far as like you know i feel kind of bad because I, like, I don't really have any suggestions for like an ideal 16 player tournament structure right that is like not just a single elimination thing, you know? So it, it is tough to come up with something like this, but um, yeah. It, it does feel like there. things should kind of start over with the top eight. You yeah. Know, once you get right. your top eight players or whatever, then you, you create a new elimination bracket, whether like, it's yeah. single or double elimination. And sure, some of the players had to work harder to get here and like didn't have as good records as the other players to mm-hmm. get into the top eight. But if we can minimize like the reward for that to something like seeding, yeah, I think that would be a little better. Yeah, yeah, so definitely. As far as the format itself goes, yeah, um, enough talking about the structure. Yeah, I, I mean we can't fix that. Yeah, so. yeah, it's just us ranting now. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, let's let's talk about let's talk about the format. Um, so you know, initially looking at the deck list, two things really stood out. The first was Jeskai Fires being kind of back. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Fires was dead. Yeah. It was not... <laughs> nobody was playing that. Right. So Jeskai Fires back and no Simic in any form, whether it's yep. Flash or Ramp. Um, right. Even though it, that those archetypes experience like a pretty solid renaissance with Theros Beyond Death. Yeah. In particular because of Uro. Yeah. So there, the decks, the decks that I was definitely expecting to see a lot of were... Blue white control, mm-hmm. the kind of the de facto best deck of standard yeah. going into that weekend. Not only because a lot of stuff, but like the I was at Phoenix and in the PTQ, the both of the standard PTQs that happened that weekend were sixty percent um, <sighs> blue white control. Yikes! So I was definitely expecting there to be a a very significant number of uh, blue white at that tournament. Mm-hmm. And then the other very talked about deck going into that weekend that was like like okay what is blue white control weak to and the only responses i heard was like you're kind of like close against team reclamation yeah although honestly a lot of the games that blue white wins against team reclamation mm-hmm. like look awful for team reclamation yeah, yeah yeah for sure yeah sometimes you just like land at the ferry and they and, can't and they, they don't have anything just done 
it's like oh my whole deck is revolving around doing a bunch of stuff in my instep and uh, right yeah and all the players who brought team eric to this tournament had solutions to that problem mm-hmm. um i particularly liked kvartek just like changing the deck up entirely and putting nisses in there yeah. because nissa is so good against blue control and particularly against planeswalkers and just gives you a second game plan almost so so that was very cool to see but also uh robber of the rich really just like had a weekend this weekend yeah it really did because it got play in some of these um you know like as a sideboard card in some of these decks and then also mono red just take out the shocks put in the robbers because <laughs> we're trying to beat everything but the mirror yeah but there's no creatures to kill in this format right <laughs> except for from our own deck yeah so eh. so we'll just do a handshake pact nobody put shocks in their deck <laughs> yeah. and we'll... some people broke that pact a little bit with bone crusher giant well but yeah but bone crusher giant is just too good so yeah i mean you cannot play bone crusher yeah. giant yeah, so we saw a lot of Robbers of the Rich and mm-hmm. actually like saw way more spells cast off of Robber of the Rich in this tournament than I've seen in its like entire life yeah. so far. Like playing it, watching coverage, <laughs> having it played against me. Yeah. Like way more in this tournament than the rest of its existence. And some of those spells were game winning. Yeah. Like we saw kind of as a surprise Nasif attacking with his Brazen Borrower. Brazen Borrower which is a rogue, yeah, and then being able to cast a spell from like a much earlier robber of the rich, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that was going to happen. Nope. <laughs> Same, yeah. my my brain has absolutely shortcutted it to you have to have attacked with a robber of the rich, right, to get Not the robber a rogue. <laughs> so pretty cool there, though. Yeah, cool. And it was was that a stolen brazen borrower with a different robber? Because I definitely have seen also in that tournament somebody used somebody else's brazen borrower that they had stolen off of robber of the rich to get the second spell off of oh, the really? robber of the rich i know i think that nasif was playing he was, he just was playing, playing fires oh he was playing fires yeah okay i think he just had both in his deck yeah yeah because he, yeah. he was playing very close to like the will pulliam version of i think fires yeah that... i think he was playing will pulliam's deck yeah so will had popularized teamer wreck a while back but I guess he had done work on fires. Yeah. Um, and I actually talked to him about it two weeks ago now or whatever it is at this point. Okay. Um, but I talked with him about it at Philly. In particular, it was designed to be a little more nimble and a little better against blue-white. So I think that that's why you have more Kenriths and fewer Cavaliers of Flames and okay. more of more Brazen Borrowers to be like additional, you know, the, that bone crusher giant slot is like very helpful for letting you switch up your game plan a little bit use your mana better and that sort of thing sure and like cavalier of flames is so bad when there's a narset in play but kenrith can kill the narset and then threaten to start drawing cards and just generally is a much better card against blue white because they have to deal with it yeah yeah i mean kenrith is just great yeah <laughs> just, kenrith is very good ever since they printed fires and that card we've been jamming them together yeah, so for sure I definitely am, like, you have to do work to make fires reasonable against blue-white. Yeah. Like, if you were to take just a stock version of fires and not totally understand how to sideboard and stuff, mm-hmm. you will get bodied <laughs> by Elspeth Conquers Death and, yeah. and the Planeswalkers. Yeah. So, interesting to me that they were willing to put in that much effort, you know, because you got to have the sideboard cards. you got to have these Legion War Bosses and Robbers of the Rich to... to pressure the planeswalkers you've got to have ways to not just like have counter spells ruin your day yeah and i i I guess i'm not one million percent understanding 
the impetus to go with fires for this tournament. You're quite good against mono red. You're like kind of even against team of reclamation. You can get, you know, you can make up some ground in the blue white matchup, but it's not a good matchup. Yeah, I would assume that it's the theory would be that you are a provenly powerful archetype mm -hmm. and you're currently being ignored. Okay. And and I think for some players that was enough to be like, all right, you know, let's let's tune this against the current field mm -hmm. as best we can. And if that process leaves us with a really good understanding of all these matchups and, uh, you know, and our tuning feeling like we, like, have good play in all of these matchups, mm -hmm. then, like, I, I could see pulling the trigger on that. Um, I don't think that these players knew that there was going to be a good amount of mono-red in the field. Because, like, another argument I could see would be, like, oh, you know, if there is mono-red, we can beat up on it. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of happened on accident because a significant portion of the players in this field just put themselves dead to mono red. Yeah, that like, was the main way of building Teamer Wreck. Yeah, Teamer Wreck like, is just, uh, yeah, it can't be mono red. I mean, the, <laughs> you can build it now to be fine against mono red. If sure. you have Uro and uh, Storm's Wrath, mm -hmm. you're only, I think, very slightly behind against them in post board when you add spot removal, you're like fine. Yeah. But yeah, lo not, lots of no removal. Yeah, but yeah, the spot removal element was definitely the thing that was missing. Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah, they just didn't have the elements that were prepared to beat up on early creatures. Mm -hmm. And that's just all the mono red deck is. Yeah, it's, it's just, just no burn spells anymore. Early creatures. <laughs> and you're kind of extra prepared for Wraths. Because the format is just like, the, because there are no spot removal spells, there are a bunch of these wrath effects, like the new four damage to everything, mm -hmm. and the like the white actual wraths. Yeah. Um. And annex just adds that element of, like, all right, I, I'm curving out like one two annex, mm -hmm. and then the only thing that you can do to like potentially answer this at all is wrath me, and then I'm just gonna have a bunch of one ones. Mm -hmm. Um. Typically, you get like four one ones out of that, and then you're like cleaving them the next turn, or right. God forbid, <laughs> landing a Torbrand <laughs> attack for twelve or whatever it is. So yeah, yeah. This is one of the reasons why I don't love the board plans against mono red that involve taking out all of your Teferi's because mm. I think that card's actually a lot better against mono red than people give it credit for. Yeah. Yeah, being able to like bounce an annex, bounce annex so is good. important. Bounce Torbrand, just like these like big clunky threats that have a big impact. And instant speeding your Shatter the Sky against annex is really good too. Mm, yeah, so yeah. you know you don't get your attack with those one ones. Like I yeah. have the second Shatter the Sky. Yeah, or you know I can solve these one ones somehow. You know whatever sure. it is. But the the fog plus wrath is way better than just the wrath and then take a million and maybe die to Embercleave. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that tempo play of like, like, are you? Do you want to play at your Torbrand before you attack? Probably I might, not. I, I almost <laughs> yeah. certainly haven't. Yeah. Right. If anybody pluses and passes with four, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, don't cast creatures pre-combat. Yeah. So you know, once again, like people weren't expecting red. People were probably not experienced against these specific red builds that people brought, mm -hmm. and. You know, Seth definitely took advantage of that. Yeah, and played his heart out, too. Yeah, yeah. Just really cool to see him make it so far yeah. in that tournament. I mean, yeah, he deserved it. His, like, I don't know. Just watching him play Mono Red in that tournament was, like, go back. If you were playing Mono Red, 
go watch the VODs and just like fast forward to the Seth matches, like mm-hmm. you'll learn a lot. Yeah. Just yeah. about pacing out threats or choosing your spots where you like allow yourself to be dead to a wrath or like running Ember Cleave into potential answers or whatever, like you'll you will learn at least something from from watching all of his matches. Yeah. Definitely. So you know, a little confused about the fires of invention thing. I also have to say, like, Team Reclamation didn't really impress me too no. much. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounded like that was kind of a story of Team Reclamation in a lot of tournaments recently, mm-hmm. where it maybe is, like, a little overhyped and then comes to a tournament and it peters out. Um, but yeah, Team Rec seemed like it did not do very well. Fires performed admirably given that it just wasn't a deck going into this weekend and Mm -hmm. i think that the fires players definitely put a lot of solid preparation into it you know they ended up doing reasonably well Mm -hmm. blue white did had a solid performance yeah i mean it won the tournament um enhanced pv how how did it do who are the other there were a couple of the other was it I'm was it Andre don't... that was on the same list as PV? Because PV yeah. prepared with the Czech guys, right? Yeah, yeah. So Andre was on the same list, and he unfortunately didn't make day two. Yeah, I do think that list was very good. Pretty much, if you could see the tournament as it happened, mm-hmm. and then go back and build a seventy-five, <laughs> like that's close. <laughs> sure, the, the one okay. we came up with like nice. the one Dream Trawler, one Archon main deck, like. Mm-hmm. You don't want a lot of Dream Trawlers in your deck if you're expecting a lot of Team Wreck and the Mirror. Yeah. You, you don't want that many sixes. I mean, this honestly may have been a tournament where you just like wanted a lot of Archons in your main deck and no Dream Trawlers. But, you know, other than that, like, I think it was a beautifully built deck and PV's sideboard plans were excellent. Yeah. Um, when he was playing against Marcio, the, the play in for the finals in the top the like top bracket semifinals or whatever you know he just dismantled him mm-hmm. post board he got like pretty well beat game one and then post board just like took out a lot of cards that cared about teferi teferi came into play and just kind of didn't matter and and all of his cards were good and you know the games in the actual finals played out in a lot of different ways it was a really fascinating finals to watch just to see like all the iterations of games that this matchup can produce but overall you know, his board plan just removed a lot of the weaknesses that Fires was trying to exploit, particularly by getting Teferi down and protected. And um, he didn't let himself lose to that as much as the deck sometimes can. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Really cool to see. Yeah, definitely. So deserving winner, deserving finalists. <laughs> yeah. Like, good stuff. And then, you know, Seth definitely had a deep run with Monored. Mm-hmm. It sounded like some of the other Monored players ran into too many fires players unexpectedly <laughs> there was one bad matchup yeah. in the tournament the rest were like fine too favored yeah and that yeah. i think that you blue match blue white matchup was fine mm-hmm. and you were definitely heavily favored against team rec but then yeah there was but there it did seem like there was a pretty large rock paper scissors element amongst the rest of it with you know blue white not really having any real predator per se but yeah um yeah. well and i'm not sure that it does i mean i guess because there were no simic decks in the tournament right and you can build mm-hmm. your simic deck to be pretty strong against blue white especially a blue white deck that is preparing for like mm-hmm. the mirror or whatever yeah. specifically right well but that does kind of play out by like what i've heard just about the format at large like even even simic uh i don't think is that ahead mm-hmm. just because like they're big haymakers that they used to rely on in like nissa for example mm-hmm. 
you just have such good answers to Nissa now with yeah, Elspeth conquers death. Yeah. You just can kind of answer everything. Yeah, so. and I mean, that's huge. And also, the versions of the blue-white deck that are just running like four Teferi and four Narset make it just make your hydrid crazies so much worse. Yeah. If there's just very likely to be a Narset sitting in play, like that's bad news. <laughs> true. Very true. But yeah, so I would probably play blue-white in a standard tournament. Yeah, I think blue-white's still the best deck. It was cool to see all the other medic calls uh, that people made. Uh, Canister played <laughs> Jun Food again. <laughs> um, and did, I think, reasonably with yeah. it. I think it was, he had like a positive record there, but... It was unable to carry him all the way. Yeah. And I, I mean, he wasn't in a terrible spot because if, you know, like PV and Andre cut a bunch of Dream Trawlers mm -hmm. and Dream Trawler is the solution to that matchup. That made Blue White kind of not care about food anymore. Right. But if you're down to one, then yeah, we're, we're not back bad. to like getting catted out of the game. <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, that's standard. Yep. That's standard. We will see where it goes. We're not playing too many standard tournaments yeah, for not, a hot minute. But not really keeping an eye on standard moving forward at the moment. I am going to be keeping a standard deck in my back pocket slash bag just because I can't play the any other classic anymore. <laughs> okay. Just because <laughs> just the number of rounds, number of people? Or... Yeah. Well, okay. So playing the, the modern classic yeah. at Philly... Okay. Okay. So I go into the last round at six and one. Mm -hmm. I'm in tenth place. <laughs> nice. I'm in tenth place. So at least I don't yeah. have to like even think about drawing. I just have to play. Right. But like that sucks. There were 180 people in that tournament. Uh, meanwhile, Dom is playing standard, and he comes over to me, and he's like, "I'm three and zero. Oh. I think I've locked up top 32." <laughs> nice like like will is 4-1 in standard and he's like i think i'm gonna get paired up so i can get my opponent to scoop to me and then i'll be locked for top eight and fair like, enough i had to play at six and one <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right yeah so have a standard deck ready yeah yeah if i had been able to find a standard deck i would have much preferred to play the standard ptq on sunday of phoenix rather than mm -hmm. the pioneer one that i ended up playing right um because, yeah, I mean, uh, for similar reasons, like, I think that, so I went five and one mm -hmm. with Inverter in that PTQ, did not come close to making top eight or being relevant for it. But a couple. But I'm pretty sure that five one was like almost locked for the standard PTQ mm -hmm. top eight. So. Gotcha. Um, interesting difference there. But, yeah. You know, that's how it goes. So fortunately, all I really need to do for that is play a couple of matches on Arena each day and sure. make sure that, like, my deck is still fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... Then you'll be ready. I'll be fine. Yep. Speaking of Pioneer, though... Pioneer, yeah. So, I have not been able... I have not been playing too much Pioneer. I'm skipping Indie, so mm -hmm. I am not testing for it. So I would love to be caught up on the developments of the format. I did see that SRAM Auras won the pioneer challenge this past weekend sram yeah i mean sram horrors is a real deck okay it's pretty strong i still think it's tier 1.5 yeah because tier one is very solidly only three decks mm -hmm. in my mind inverter mm -hmm. is do we have much do we have inverter at s tier almost or well so yeah i mean I, i'm gonna describe s -tier, sure i think for the most part and and one of these is like a little below s tier mm-hmm in my mind but so there's there's 
Blue Black Inverter, mm-hmm. Breach, mm-hmm. and Sultai. Okay. I think those are really the only decks in consideration for the top tier right now. You don't think Spirits is in there? No. Okay. Spirits is in the like 1.5 category for me. And 1.5 category is pretty pretty big. And it's not a huge discrepancy between the tier 1.5 decks and the tier 1 decks. But it exists. Mm-hmm. And, and playing against and with the decks, you'll just notice and be like, yeah, okay these decks just aren't on the same power level okay tier spirits is tier 1.5 spirits has the popularity factor mm. people love playing creature decks casting so, collect company so you think that's probably uh, why spirits, we're seeing it spirit squad is all over twitter <laughs> you know it's just people love spirits and people are going to play spirits and that's probably why part of the reason that it's poking its way into results and in a lot of top eights yeah, is yeah just yeah. a substantial portion yeah yeah is that you know it's a play style that people understand and mm-hmm. can do well when they don't want to mess around with this inverter nonsense that they're going to screw up half the time or like playing a breach combo that a lot of people are averse to doing. Right. Um, I will say yeah. in particular, the breach versus Bant Spirits matchup felt pretty bad for breach. Just the combination of pressure and just enough disruption from Mausoleum Wanderer mm-hmm. and Spellqueller uh, yeah. made it difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly annoying. Mm-hmm. But Breach had a positive record against Spirits of the PT. Yeah, that's true. So you can... I think Breach definitely has a lot of tools there, mm-hmm. for sure. Because uh, all Breach really needs to do against Spirits is develop its mana. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't really recognize when they're playing out these games, is that Breach developing its mana is just making land drops like you you don't like sometimes sure you need to resolve your sylvan scrying to find your thing mm-hmm. but a lot of the time it's just turn three you play your lotus turn four you pass the turn after playing your thespian stage and then you're untapping with seven mana right and once you have seven mana you can you can fight through a spell or you can fight through a lot of mystical disputes. You can just fight through all of the stuff that your opponent's doing. Mm-hmm. And then so many of your things are like must answers. So if you, you know, if you just like, all right, untap with my two lotuses, tap both of them, float four, like target each with a hidden strings and your hand is Spellqueller, mystical dispute, like what do you do? Like Spellqueller, then you're out of Spellqueller mm-hmm. and they probably still have a bunch of gas. Or, like, you can't mystical dispute it because there's, they have a million mana. Yeah. Um, it gets really tough. So I think that these Breach decks are definitely a lot more resilient to the interaction that people have seen, which is why they had a really dominant performance recently. Mm-hmm. The problem is, right now, for Breach, is that there's one card that is very difficult to beat, which is Damping Sphere. <laughs> Good old wet ball. Yeah. <laughs> Good old wet ball. Although, as Lou pointed out on Twitter today, it has nothing different, to do with dampness. Different kind of dampness. Yeah. Yes. yeah, and and so as I'm describing Breach as this like really powerful, hard to interact with thing, as long as people are prepared for it in any context, which was not true for the PT mm-hmm. and is going to be true moving forward, is that all you really need to do to make your Breach matchup positive is screw up their <laughs> is mana. like interact a little bit and have three damping spheres in your side. Yeah. That's all it takes in my mind because all you need to do is just wait for turn three after they've played their lotus breach their lotus field and just play your damning sphere and right. then they have you stone rain them twice <laughs> yeah and and turn one of their lands into a right. color into a wastes yes it, and that it, that play pattern is really backbreaking so what you'll see breach players do is that they'll like 
fill up the rest of their mana, and then the turn that they want to go off, they can, like, you know, Lotus Field, and then untap it and start going from there. Mm-hmm. But, it yeah, it gets really, really difficult to fight through a Damping Sphere. And sure. there were not many Damping Spheres at the PT, which is why I think that the deck had the success rate that it ended up with. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that Breach is not going to have a very good weekend this weekend. Just because I think everybody is going to be prepared for it. Everybody's going to play Damping Spheres. If you have to play against Damping Sphere every round, mm-hmm. you're not going to go that deep in the tournament. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. So there's that. And that, for me, pushes Inverter to the best deck by a significant margin. Mm-hmm. Because in, you can make your Inverter matchup against Breach good by playing Damping Spheres. Mm-hmm. You just have like two Damping Spheres and several narsets in your deck so that you'll find your damping spheres every game mm-hmm. and then you have counter spells to back that up with and honestly all you really need to do is save your counter spells for their uh disenchants <laughs> um and they can't win yeah. so while there is that kind of like hate piece for breach there's nothing remotely like that against inverter no there's absolutely just no not. There's nothing that is like a slam dunk, like, wow, this card is really great against Inverter. You know, they don't need their graveyard to win. They don't need any of this other stuff. Um, yeah, kind of the best you can do is actually like Ipnu Rivulet, mm-hmm. just because it like forces them into play patterns that they wouldn't have chosen otherwise. Yeah, honestly, that is the hardest card to play through a lot of the time. Um, but you can you can play through it. Yeah, of course. Like you just play more spells. Yeah, and the rest of your game plan is just like interact and disrupt uh, frequently. So yep. you can just you know prolong the game. Like you're very happy to prolong the game doing that to get to the point where you don't care about a rivulet. Right. Especially now that the deck just plays four jaces. Mm-hmm. You know you're able to play a, a very long game. If you like a game plan that is fine is thought sees you kill a thing, counter a thing, play a jace. Right. And then you just draw two cards a turn until they die. Yeah. And that's how a vast majority of my games have played out. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm right. Thoughts ease you. Like, maybe I even, like, play a Narset on turn three, like, interact once more, and then land a Jace. And just ride it's it. It's just over. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, sometimes, like, if, if, if I'm targeting you with my Jace, that means you're going to die in a couple of turns. If I'm targeting me with my Jace, that means I'm going to cast Dig Through Time. So <laughs> it's just, it's just a, it's a lose-lose for you. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Inverter, now that it can be like prepared for Breach and tuned for this field as it exists, I think is very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Definitely S-tier. Sultai is another deck that has a lot of promise for me. Mm-hmm. I think that the biggest thing holding it down is that it kind of has an unsalvageable Game 1 matchup against Breach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you can make your post board against Breach pretty good. But it's tough with that deck because it's the game one matchup is so bad that you're like really having to like recover from that in in the post board games, um, and that can be hard. But that said, I think Sultai can be built to beat Inverter and beat Breach post board. You already beat up on all of the aggressive decks, and you beat up on Spirits. So casting Ishkana is just oh yeah, so brutal. Nobody's ever beaten a resolved Ishkana. <laughs> I don't care what format we're playing in. If <laughs> yeah. somebody resolves an Ishkana, right? It's in their deck because it beats you. Yeah, and then it beats you, and then you lose. <laughs> That's what Ishkana does. Ishkana just wins. Yeah, I I do like the sound of Sultai. And Sultai's just a lot of fun to play. So mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people are just going to lean towards that. Right. The e- mid-range. Even if they know that, like, oh, maybe Inverter's, like, definitely, like, better percentage in this field or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
it's just yeah you just got the mid-range like feel to it all and uh something just feels really good about curving a Sator Wayfinder into an Uro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you just, like, it's just, like, drawing you... Like, your Sator yeah. Wayfinder, like, put a 1-1 into play and, like, right. drew you two cards, basically. One is oh, yeah. the Uro in your graveyard. Right. Like, And we all got addicted to that, like, tireless tracker feeling, mm-hmm. you know? Where you just land your tracker, and then you start making land drops, and that just snowballs, and yeah. then you have a grip full... That's just Uro on its own. Just Uro does that. It's like, Uro, you land Uro, get it into the battlefield... It's just over. It just does the job. Yeah. yeah. You're drawing a bunch of interactive stuff now, and yeah, it's just a good feeling. Yeah, definitely. No, Uro is quite strong, for sure. Yeah. Um, and definitely the thing that makes this deck exist. It, it mm-hmm. just was bad before. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's my little synopsis of well, I've seen the you pros playing... and cons of the top decks. <laughs> I've seen you playing some uh, in Soul. Yeah. How has that felt? Right. So I've been exploring some of these like tier one and a half decks that I think could potentially be well positioned. Mm -hmm. I like taking that approach to tournaments. The one deck that I've been focusing on recently has been in Seoul. Just in a format where the two best decks are in some way combo decks, um, these like aggressively slanted like tempo decks that get to play like counter spells mm-hmm. can often be really strong. So the two decks in the format that kind of fit that category right now are in soul and stompy. Mm-hmm. You can play like blue green stompy and like have stubborn denials and stuff like that. And that can be really strong or you can play in soul. I know you have not been impressed with the stubborn denials in in soul. Is that like a deck specific? Yeah, deck they're not or... in my deck at all okay. anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I cut them for metal rebukes, which mm-hmm. I think is much better. Okay. You just it just never is on when you need it to be right and then if it is on you could have any counter spell mm-hmm. you know you don't need you're not playing spells anymore at that point right. you don't need it to be a one mana counter spell right you don't need it to be stubborn denial once you're hitting them with a five five every turn you just need it to interact at all yeah so why are we playing this thing that only interacts at all mm-hmm. in our best case scenario gotcha it just didn't makes sense to me right so i cut all the stubborn denials from my insult deck i replaced them with metallic rebukes i think it, that card is much better i do like the dive downs just because there's just so many fatal pushes out right now yeah so like if i want like a one mana thing that is going to protect my guy i would much rather it be a dive down than a stubborn denial mm-hmm. just because that way yeah you can still protect your your five five when you need it to for a uh, low mana mana yeah, the deck's I... been the deck's been fine Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably not going to put too much more thought into it after today. I recorded a video that's probably going to be going up sometime later this week on the Team Lotus Box channel. Cool. So if you want to see me do a league with In Soul, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I I've already kind of like known in the back of my mind that I'm probably going to default back to Inverter. Sure. Are threatens out of the insole deck any good against inverter or is that just like not enough do you really need to are you never gonna like finish so, it off that way if i wanted so okay so inverter against insole mm-hmm. that matchup comes down to two it, like it the the insole player loses one of two ways they just get removed out of the game and then buried in mm-hmm. card advantage and dig through times right or sometimes you can find yourself in a spot where your opponent slams a turn four inverter and then can just kill you the following turn. 
and you just like can't push the damage through, through the 6-6. Six, six. Six. Yeah. Which is the problem that a lot of aggressive decks have right now. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm trying to play towards that scenario more, I would much rather find room for Ifni Rivulet mm -hmm. in my deck. Okay. Because Rivulet is the card that its existence on the battlefield just eliminates entirely that potential for... Right. I'm going to play this card, and then you can't... Like, like if you don't kill me right now, then I win. Because right. the turn four inverter never yeah. puts more than four cards into their library. Yeah, otherwise they just can't win Yeah. Uh, the following turn. Yeah. And, like, and sometimes it does it and puts, like, six cards in the library. It's like, okay, at least I know I'm going to get, like, two attack steps or whatever to try to get through the 6-6. Six, six. Right. But, yeah, the, the but ones that's... On, on turn four, it's very difficult to get that many cards into right. your graveyard, so... Yeah. So, right, so Rivulet is something that's really pretty powerful in that scenario. Okay, uh, that makes sense. And probably I would, I would want to play that more. There was a little bit where I was, like, really looking for a counterspell specifically for for Inverter itself. Because mm -hmm. I was playing a lot of, like, Stubborn Denials and stuff. But if you can ca if you can counter the Inverter, then there's not really a lot else that you're trying to worry about. Sure. But also that doesn't play for the other way that you can lose, which is just getting buried. Right, right. So if they just... Fatal push you a couple of times and then cast a dig through time. Like, yeah, that's tough. <laughs> if they fatal push you a couple of times and cast a dig through time and you disdainful stroke it, like you're not winning that game either because they'll find another dig through time or a jace yeah. or something. So, yeah. and you're going to be really low on pressure at that point. Yeah, so. yeah. But yeah, that's that's been a little bit of my exploration with that archetype. And the other thing that I found out, which was kind of sad, is that your breach matchup is not as good as I hoped. Oh, you're just be. not fast enough? Well, they just have infinite disenchants. Yeah, <laughs> so. I guess that's true. They just <laughs> unravel you to death. if people are playing breach right now, they're prepared for a yeah. a damping sphere. Right. And by extension, they're prepared to destroy your artifact that has an insult on it. Right. And if they choose to run unravel the ether over return to nature mm -hmm. which is like totally reasonable because you very rarely need to yeah grab a card from a graveyard with your return to nature yeah yeah and if they can just even if you put it on an indestructible thing they still just like then stone rain you and get your insole <laughs> it's not great it's pretty bad yeah so that deck had a little bit of flaws um i might like if i want to continue with that like angle on the metagame i think i i might jam a couple of leaks with stompy mm-hmm just because it can be a powerful, fast strategy, and you get to play elves, which is right pretty underrated. Right, nobody's now. really targeting yeah. elves. I mean, so there there's are, fatal there's pushes, but fatal pushes around. But that's not the worst thing in the world mm -hmm. for you. I mean, I guess if your whole deck is built around going one three, then that was always my problem with the deck. Getting is your elf pushed is bad. Without once upon a time, like with once upon a time, you could pretty easily go 1-3 in all of your matches. Mm -hmm. Without it, though, you're kind of hoping to go 1-3, and then every game that you don't, which your percentage of not goes significantly up, yeah. feels pretty bad. Right, and you combine that percentage of just naturally failing to do it with the percentage of games where they have the fatal push, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden your yeah. deck isn't... Like or the just, shock, right? So, like, yeah. every every one-mana removal spell right now is just going to kind of blow you up. So Yeah, yeah. And then you're casting Steel Leaf Champion on turn three and dying, basically. <laughs> it does feel that way, yeah. So, so I don't... Yeah, I don't think that those are that great at attacking the mid-game. There was a, a blue-green ramp deck that went undefeated in one of the PTQs oh. that had... I think the full four damping spheres in its sideboard. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. So that was pretty cool to see. 
Um, but you're, that deck, like, if I'm playing a deck like that, I really want to be like, okay, I can have my shot against Breach, and then I want to destroy everything else. But you're never really going to be more than a 55 against a deck like Inverter mm -hmm. with uh, that kind of deck. So. Right, like you had to stretch mm -hmm. to make your sideboard strategy. Yeah, my sideboard strategy was entirely dedicated to turning my inverter matchup into a like a 58 mm -hmm. and it just did not really leave much room for breach at all so that wasn't great so i yeah I, and but the cool thing is that like that deck is something that i am willing to revisit after next weekend when breach kind of gets mushed mm -hmm. i'm anticipating breach having a poor weekend next weekend because everybody's going to have a lot of preparation for it in and then in like a post breach atmosphere i could potentially reach for this uh ramp deck again gotcha but something else is going to have to happen as well like inverter would have to get banned or something so mm. yeah okay yeah well i guess that's pioneer any other decks anything uh look like Heliod also seems to just be around, like never quite cracking the top yeah. of the things, but just yeah. like once you scroll down to the X2s, there's like, like a lot of them. Oh, yeah. Well, and a lot of people are playing Heliod, and I'll play it like once a league or mm -hmm. whatever. It's. It seems like the most medium Pioneer deck you could play. It's a deck. Yeah. Yeah. Serum is, is is pretty exciting and tier 1.5. Mm -hmm. You know, every every time I play against it, I just get completely slapped. So there's gotta be there's gotta be something in there. Yeah. Uh just because every time it's like it's like, oh yeah, alright, my opponent had a turn one creature and then they put a million things on it and I can't interact with them because they have a whatever that Alcid and I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> right. Playing that deck has never worked out as well for me. Of course, that's just the way. But that's that's magic, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is the way. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that I'm most likely to play Inverter this weekend. I, I have been enjoying playing Inverter a lot more than I thought I would. So I'm like not that unhappy about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is interactive deck with a lot of decisions. Like, the, the Thoughtseize Dig Through Time deck can only be, like, that unsatisfying to play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Let's see what we got in the way of Patreon questions. All right. Probably pretty quick Patreon question of the week. This week, uh, Walked, 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 asks, Amulet, fine top deck or oppressive? And, uh, you know, Amulet I definitely continues to be the best deck in modern it's the best second modern just super consistent runs once upon a time like the most powerful card in the format is doing you know has managed to warp itself to the place where primeval titan is a better inferno titan than inferno titan and a better grave titan than grave titan and you know has a lot of roots to win games it's and the split card yeah now yeah is that it's it's inferno titan Grave Titan. And it's still always Primeval card. Titan. Like, you still oh, ha yeah. always have infinite mana the turn after you <laughs> cast it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a fine top deck mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, it is, you know, it's not immune to the format. Like, you can Blood Moon it. You can, like, really do stuff to it. I think that, like, Jun decks have game against it. Jun style decks like have things that they can do to like make themselves feel good against an amulet deck, and that doesn't involve cyborg cards and stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, but it's not. I don't think it's oppressive in that context, and it checks my criteria for the kind of deck I want to be a top deck, which is a, a 
high mastery required strategy. Mm. Like, I just like it when, like, there is a deck that is clearly very powerful, maybe even the best deck, but def- it just requires a certain level of mastery to be playing kind of at all. Sure. I, I think that's just healthy for magic because because I think that like people willing to play a deck is a very large factor of how popular it becomes. Mm-hmm. Like we, we're seeing that right now with Pioneer Spirits. Mm-hmm. Like the deck is everywhere. And some regard it to be a very powerful deck, but it's not in my mind any of like it I don't think it's in the top three in my mind, but it's just everywhere. And Amulet, like you know, if people played it proportionally to how strong it was compared to the field, it would be 50% of every tournament. But more realistically, we're seeing it be like, you know, maybe 10% of every tournament or whatever. Um, and that skill thing is really real. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a different matchup when I sit down. <laughs> and if I'm if I'm playing against, you know, the Dom or Daryl or Edgar or somebody like that, mm-hmm. versus if I sit down and I play against somebody you know, round one of a classic who is fi- still figuring out the deck in some ways. It's just not the same mm-hmm. deck. And I have, you know, players will scoop too early to infinite life or something like that when they sure. have absolute, like, clear outs and lines that can win them the game. Like, if you're picking up Amulet, you ha- right now you have to understand the game state you can get to that allows you to beat a devoted druid deck that gained infinite life right like and you can aim for that if your deck is bigger than theirs mm-hmm. you at least need to spend several turns aiming for that and seeing if they can actually kill you before you get to the point where you can just valicate them every turn that's a yeah. super real game plan unless you put arboreal grazer in your deck but at that point you've made other mistakes in you've, your life yeah no the arboreal <laughs> grazer version is worse than the scout version yeah. like it just it, like play scout scout is very good yeah um but yeah just the deck is skill dependent in a way that is very visible from the other side of the table. And I, within a turn or two, usually can gauge how experienced my opponent is with their amulet deck. And that allows me to adjust my internal, like, how likely am I to win this match? <laughs> like, thought process accordingly. Sure. But, like, my also my opinion of is Amulet the best, like, an okay best deck is definitely colored by the fact that I have been mostly focusing on playing a deck that has a good matchup against it, and generally I'm happy to play against it as long as it's not, like, exactly Edgar playing it, you know. Um, so I probably don't quite have the perspective of somebody who, like, was really excited to play Jund and now just, like, can't mm-hmm. do that. Right. You know, that's not a point of view that i have so yep i dig it as the top deck right now i think it's good davilio points out the roots and amulet got very much simplified after adding dryad and valakut i mean that gives you like a default way to end the game mm-hmm. if you have it yeah but i still think that the deck rewards like getting that Getting from 95% to 97, 98%, yeah. getting those right. like top plays, the the right play in every turn. And, it, and, and you know, uh, that is correct in the sense that you're not like super punished and go from 100 to 0% mm-hmm. by missing like, like one tiny little like, oh, I didn't realize I needed to like 
float mana here and get this wonky land and right. blah blah blah. Oh, I left you at two because like I didn't realize you could block like that and then the double strike wouldn't or whatever. Like. Sure, right, right, yeah. So there's there's definitely some elements to that. That's very true. Where like yeah, okay, now I can just overkill you by a million or whatever, mm-hmm. and it doesn't require as like much technical precision. Yeah, but the sequencing to get to that point mm-hmm. is still yeah very. You got to do it right. And knowing when to put that dryad into play is actually, like, kind of complicated. <laughs> yeah. Although sometimes it's just, like, I don't have an Azusa. This dryad is my Azusa. And also, if it's still in play when I tighten, you're you're completely dead. Like, those ones are really easy. That's true. But, yeah. you know, most g- games of Magic get scrappy, so. <laughs> true. It's all about winning the scrappy games. It's... Magic 101 is... I guess it's not Magic 101, but Magic 102 is like, all right, learn how to learn how to win the scrappy right, games. Right. Yeah. We are we are attacking with a two two walking ballista until our opponent is dead. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's it's gonna happen. So. Right. Yeah. So. Um, all right. Well. Cool. I think that's it for us this week. Okay. Everybody at home, everybody in chat, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. Uh, Everybody at home, thank you for listening. If you would like to catch us live, we are always going to be streaming the podcast at 7.30 on Tuesdays at twitch.tv slash collinsmullen. If you'd like to find us online, our website is mtggrindcast.com. We've got links to all of our episodes there. We've got links to our Patreon as well. Or you can go straight to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. We would definitely really, really appreciate your support. That would be super cool. Um, thanks again to our patrons. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. And the podcast Twitter is at MTG underscore grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. <laughs>